0: Welcome to Question Mark, the podcast, exploring the greatest story ever told, with open minds and open hearts. Light it up, we won't come down, and the sun can't stop us now. Watching it come true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show where it's covered in all the colored lights, and the runaways are running the night. Impossible comes true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show.
1: Hello and welcome again to Question Mark a fortnightly Podcast about Mark's Gospel, surely the greatest story ever told. Thank you for joining us today, and do tell your friends if you like it and tell us what we could do better if you don't. My name's David Payne, and I'll be your host for this, the 59th episode in our journey. There's not much more to go now, this journey through this intriguing gospel. Today, we're delighted to have Professor Helen Bond with us. Helen, I believe you are Professor of Christian Origins, and for a few more days, head of divinity at the University of Edinburgh. Um, you also have a great podcast called The Biblical Time Machine. Um, I was drawn to the curious case of Judas Iscariot, in which you quest- your guest actually questioned, rather than you questioning, whether he was such a bad guy after all. And also what Jesus looked like, which I thought Steph might be interested. You might, might, might like that one, Steph.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> So I wonder what you're setting out to do in the podcast and also what a typical day is like for a professor of Christian origins. Welcome <laughs> to the show, lovely to have you.
3: Thank you, thank you. Well, the, the, the podcast first, I do it with the, the wonderful Dave Roos who's a, a journalist from uh, from the United States. And and it was his idea really, but the, it the podcast it's called Biblical Time Machine. And the idea is we get back in our time machine and we go back to the biblical period. And it's really historical. So it's aimed at people who want to know more about the history of of the Bible. So the history of the books, the history of the times, you know, what people were up to. Um, why Why does Genesis describe creation like it does? Were there really 12 tribes? Um, What's going on in the book of Esther? What were the Persians all about? um, And plenty of New Testament topics, too. So so we're we're covering we're coming to the end of season one and that's got 30 episodes in it. So starting in uh, season two after summer, I think. So. So, yeah, it's it's got busy and we've got a good following so far. But as for the a, a day in the life of a of a professor of Christian origins, well, it's really just a fancy way of saying New Testament. Um I used to be a lecturer in New Testament, but it's it's quite common nowadays for people to, to want to broaden that out a bit. So rather than just confining myself to the New Testament, I also like to look at the the sort of the world of the New Testament testament josephus and the historical jesus and um i'm really going right through to the second century so so this is just a way of sort of looking at the the earliest century or so of christian christianity
1: brilliant great way to find out some background for, for this podcast i think they go <laughs> very well together thank you so much for coming and do you know steph how did you did he just send you a letter and say please be <laughs> honest <show?">
3: yeah <laughs> just much. out of the blue <laughs>
1: It's great to have you. Steph, uh, most of our listeners, I think, know who you are. You present Mark's Gospel um, and will be doing so at the Edinburgh Fringe, in fact, in a few weeks' time in August this year. Um, The passage we're going to read, Jesus' Arrest, is a very familiar one and yet incredibly shocking. Um, I wonder how you present it in a way that's fresh to those of us who've heard it many times, or do you just let the words speak for
2: themselves? That's a really interesting question. I think it is a fantastically dramatic episode, isn't it? And there's so many things happening all at once. And it's, I think, uh, the answer to your question is yes. I do try and make it fresh, um, and it, and again, my director Lisa Gilmore is the one to uh, blame uh, for this, or to congratulate because I think um, she's added some dimensions to this. So you get to see the 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 servant of the high priest's ear being cut off i actually add jesus healing the ear uh, in mime i know it's not even in mark's gospel helen and and i have you know very very ambiguous thoughts about this but my director insisted and and we'll see we'll see how it goes um but in general terms, it is a fascinating piece. To make it as fast and as furious as possible is the answer, I think, on stage.
1: Right. For those not watching on YouTube, Helen was shaking her head quite <laughs> <Well>, wildly. But <laughs> smiling a was... <laughs> lot
3: at Fast and Furious. All those and mean...
1: smiling and then nodding. I won't keep doing them. we will keep going with that. Okay, brilliant. Well, that's the introductions over. It's lovely to have you both with us. Today's passage is entitled Jesus arrested. As usual, Lucy Warner is going to read the passage for us. Do listen to her episode from a couple of episodes ago, um, which was very good. Um, So she's going to read the passage for us before we start the discussion. Over to you, Lucy.
0: Mark chapter 14, verses 43 to 50. New International Version. Jesus arrested. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind.
1: Great. Thank you very much, Lucy. So we're going to try and look at the passage in four sections, I think, and um, for those following the Bible, maybe, and see what you both want to say about this. And I will aim to skillfully interweave some questions from our listeners if I can, of which we had a lot this time. So I'm very pleased. Um, Helen, we'll let the guests go first. So perhaps we could look at the crowd and Judas in the first little section. Um, What would you like to say about that first section then? Let's give Steph a go after that, I think
3: okay um yeah so so i suppose judas turns up with this uh with this crowd and they're armed they've got swords and clubs and um i mean that clearly they're, they're coming out at night to arrest jesus and and i suppose they don't know what they're going to find um i mean one of the one of the strange things about judas is you know what is it that he's betraying because he he's there at the arrest and then he he just doesn't he disappears you know he's not there again in mark's gospel and it seems to be that he's betraying where they can find him you know where the chief priests can find jesus where he's going to be alone and where where it's quiet for an arrest at night so so he comes along with all these people who've been um given to him by the chief priests and um and and of course i mean the reader already knows that this is this is pointless jesus doesn't need swords and clubs to to um to pick him up but um and, and something that's reinforced by by Jesus himself I suppose um, by his own uh, dialogue later.
1: So why do you think they needed swords and clubs to arrest Jesus? It, it mm. just to, to us it seems a, a bit crazy doesn't it after all these years? Well
3: words. I don't know I mean I think however quiet somebody seems to be you know it's one thing to be quiet and and uh teaching people in the temple by day but um but Jesus has already done something in the temple you know there's that outburst in in chapter 11 he's turned over the the tables of the money changers and all of that so so that's that's quite violent in some ways even if it was only a fairly small scale um uh, event so I suppose the thing is they don't know what to expect I mean they they'd be pretty stupid to turn up with with nothing and and most people in the first century would have would have had a knife or a club or something because you know you don't know who's going to jump out at you or wild animals or it would be quite normal I think to have some kind of a weapon on you yeah I mean
2: okay. I, I, yeah. what's your first well, well I'm there I'm there just there thinking about this Sorry, David. I was just thinking about the sword and the club. I think that's right, Helen. I think you never know what's going to happen. Mm. Um, and, and also, I suspect Jesus has got a kind of reputation, not for him, which he's kind of pr- promoted, but maybe among some people, certainly the people who invited him, who welcomed him into Jerusalem in the first place, he might be someone who, t- to them, is some kind of nationalistic hero. Mm. He's not necessarily the Messiah, Jesus okay wants them to believe he is um so maybe there's that behind the the the, the violence potential here um he's got, yeah he's
3: got these blokes you know he's got yeah. at least 12 hefty blokes well 11 <laughs> apart from judas yeah. And, yeah. and all these other women and various other people so it's quite a you know they yeah i i think you would you would be silly to leave your your sword and your club at home if, if yeah. you're out to, to arrest jesus
2: I, I like it that you're you're right that Jesus kind of mentions this himself, and I, I think for me that's the the big contrast that these guys come out with their swords and clubs, and Jesus saying, "Well, actually, I'm nothing to do with that sort of thing." Actually, um, you know, I, I I I love this passage. I thought when I first read it, gosh, there isn't that much to say. But the more I look at it, the more I feel there's this brilliant amount of things to say. Um, for me, one of the striking bits when I perform this is when Mark says of Judas, he's one of the 12. And this isn't the first time Mark says that. And I have to ask myself, why is it that Mark keeps reiterating that point? We know already, why, why say it again? Um, and and uh, it could be because he's he wants us to get how horrifying this is um, and to feel a sense of offence at what Judas is doing. Maybe that's it. Uh, And and the fact is that one of Jesus's closest friends is doing this, someone who's an insider, not even someone who's been on the outside carping. Mm. But I also think maybe it's a reference back to a previous bit in the story where Jesus actually uses those very words. He says, one of you will betray me, one of the people who are dipping their bread into the bowl with me now. So it's like saying that Jesus was spot on. He he predicted absolutely right. And, and that's not just because Jesus is a brilliant fortune teller. I think it's meant to convey the, the impression that Jesus knows exactly what's going on. These events are exactly what God has planned. And even though it feels like it's chaotic and Jesus is about to be arrested and his enemies are going to be triumphing, that doesn't actually disturb god that much this is actually what he had planned all along Mm -hmm. jesus isn't this incredible nationalistic hero who maybe some jews were expecting he's a messiah of peace and for him to have jesus crucified would have been um for some people how can that person be the messiah but Mm -hmm. i think mark is trying to make it clear to us jesus is a prophet who knows exactly what's going to happen. He hears from God, God's in control. So even that little bit is 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 a brilliant bit, I think.
3: And he still goes ahead with it. I mean, I think that's one of the amazing things too, you know, yeah. that it's all of this has been laid down and Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. He foretells every step of the way. And yet, you know, he still goes goes ahead with this sort of quiet determination. But wh- one of the things that um, opponents of Christianity um charged against christianity in the second century was that they said you know how can jesus possibly be the son of man uh, the son of god because he made such bad choices in terms of his disciples you know he, oh, he got the yeah got these 12 guys one of them is a betrayer one of them denies him you know that's yeah. completely ridiculous if, if he was the son of god he should have known what these people were like and and that was a, a pagan philosopher called celsus who was saying that um, and I think one of the things that I think Mark is already sort of slightly sort of aware of this that that it's not a great thing for a, a teacher who's got these disciples to to have the disciples almost sort of turning in on him, mm. and and so he's very clear that that Jesus knows this. Um, this is all part of the plan. It's it's not the plan going wrong. Yeah. This is actually all all that's supposed to be happening.
2: Yeah, I think that's brilliant, Helen. And 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 you know, I I think the fact that Judas is one of the disciples. In other words, Jesus' his worst enemy is his one of his best friends. Yeah. Has a has an implication for the guys who are listening to this story and us our, ourselves. Mm-hmm. If we happen to be followers of Jesus, you know what is our real attitude to him? Uh these guys here in this story, apparently they swear this undying allegiance, they will go through hell and high water for him but when it comes to the crunch they're not able to so maybe you know mark's got in mind the reader the listener um you know to get us to think about these all two human characters and wonder what would we be like in their place
3: yeah i i think that's absolutely right because i mean one of the things that scholars think is that there might be some kind of background of persecution in in Mark's gospel, and I'm sure you've come across that before in terms of. There's a lot of references to persecution. There's there's talk in chapter thirteen to to you know when you're held in front of um of, of, of councils and 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 whether the people have actually experienced persecution or whether it's just something that they're fearful of. Um, people don't really know, but but it does feel as though the the first hearers of this were sort of very much aware that you know they they could be in this this situation they could be in the situation of having good friends betray them and later on of course the, the picture of Peter is is you know that big question what would you do would yeah. you would you betray him and and certainly in this passage you know you get all the disciples running away at the end so they don't stand firm no
1: Helen I've got to ask uh, having listened to your podcast about Maybe Judas wasn't such a bad guy. Um, is that is there anything in that, do you think? Or um, I didn't hear your opinion on that, but I just want well, to. Well,
3: I, I think I, I do think Judas is one of the most fascinating people in the whole tradition and and the gospel authors just don't really know what to do with him. And, mm. you know, the, the, the brilliance of Mark, I think, is that he says so little, you know, Judas betrays. That's all he does. He be, He's the betrayer and he betrays. And we're not told at all why he did that. So so Matthew sort of suggests that it's for the money and Luke and John say, well, Satan entered into him. And then for 2000 years, ever since, we've been spending our time trying to work out was, you know, did he want Jesus to be more nationalistic? Um Was he sort of trying to get Jesus to somehow sort of show his true colors? Was he was he very much on Jesus's side and trying to, you know, uh, uh, to sort of spark some kind of a a showdown between Jesus and the chief priests? Um, And I suppose that's where the sort of more positive picture of of Judas comes in, that um, some people think that he was working with Jesus, either Jesus sort of was in on it with him or um or on sort of on his own bat, he's he's trying to kind of to get that showdown. And he's so sort of sure that when Jesus meets the chief priest, um something is bound to happen. Um, but yeah, all kinds of all kinds of explanations for 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 what Judas might have done here. And 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 the fact is we just do not know. I mean we have no information. It's possible that um, that Jesus, that, that that the two of them work together, but the the way that the story is told, um, that doesn't seem to be the most likely thing. Um, you know, that the, the way that the story is told is that he, for whatever reason, becomes disillusioned, or or maybe somehow the chief priests get to him. You know, they they perhaps can sort of influence him. Maybe, maybe they threaten his family or I mean you know we just don't know what's going on behind the scenes here
1: brilliant thank you very much Um, there are lots of questions about Judas (laughs) Um, one of them was about his kiss uh, Mm -hmm. Gareth wonders why Mark records it Hmm. Uh, details are often important in Mark's gospel and it's Gareth said we make a lot of being betrayed by Chris these days I think but was it as significant at this time do you think there's anything in that step?
2: Uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think I think Gareth was uh, part of that question: is you know why would Jesus, why would Judas need to indicate who Jesus was? Because yes. surely Jesus was well known what he looked like. And uh, the thing I hadn't noticed until my friend John Burnett mentioned this to me the other day: this particular story, there's no mention of torches. In other words, they're going to the 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 Garden of Gethsemane in pitch blackness so one explanation for the kiss might be judas had to indicate who the man was because you can't really see that well Um, (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) but i mean that's too why the kiss is important i I mean i think the kiss is brilliant I, i i mean some people might disagree with this but as far as i understand that word kiss in the original greek doesn't necessarily mean literally kiss it means love or like it's just interpreted generally as meaning to kiss so you could translate this the one i loved or like is the man and the one i'm going to betray and the one i want you to arrest um and i think that points up that that um point i made earlier on about how the, the one who is closest who kisses him who uh, showers him with respect and affection actually deep down is the one who's his worst enemy Mm -hmm. and and i think it's about it's asking us the question who are we deep down in our attitude to jesus do we profess love profess to kiss as it were but actually there's a there's a there are layers within us which are resistant uh not in for in it for jesus or for god but maybe for ourselves Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's it's all of a part with that um, one of the twelve thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's that 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 intimate follower, the the closeness, and and he kisses him because he's that's what they normally do. You know, that's a normal greeting in the in in the world of the time. And um, but you know, we we the the audience know that that there's more to this kiss, and this is a, a treacherous kiss.
1: Our other faithful questioner, who brings in questions every week and comments, and we love it. Uh, Why did they need Judas at all? Couldn't they just have had Jesus followed to know where he was? And was he really that hard to find without a disciple to lead them to him? Ah.
3: Yeah, I think that goes back to the question of what it was that he betrayed. And I, I do think that, I mean, I suppose they could have had him followed. But, you know, since the 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 Gospels suggest that that sort of Judas went and offered his services, I suppose they thought, well, yeah, this is the easiest thing. Just tell us when he's alone, when he's in a quiet place, when we can come and get him. Um, yeah. That seems to be what, what he betrays rather than specifically anything about Jesus, because they they have all been listening to Jesus themselves anyway. So they have enough ammunition as they see it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Helen, I think that's exactly right. They want to find Jesus when he's uh, completely vulnerable yeah. and they're not then many people around him because the previous episodes suggest a crowd. Um, Mm. are really much very much on Jesus's side and the chief priests don't want to arrest him in the open because they fear there's going to be a riot so here in secret if they found an ideal location
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. have we has anyone mentioned the fact that it's a crowd rather than chief priests and
1: it wasn't actually them themselves that came in that's fascinating uh, I just find that very interesting uh yeah and I, I can't remember who it was but one of our guests mentioned the crowd is uh, mentioned as a, a character within lots of the stories in Mark, and this was this is where the crowd was. The crowd w- welcomed him into Jerusalem. Yeah. The crowd said, "Crucify him," and the crowd are now re- arresting him. Yeah,
3: but it's the crowd. It's a crowd from the chief priests, though, yeah. so it's not it's not your normal crowd. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're right. The crowd is normally on his side, and until, strangely enough, you get to Pilate's tribunal, and suddenly, when the chief priests are, you know, working on them, they they abandon Jesus. But um, but this is very spe- as a specific crowd. It's yeah. it's a crowd from the chief priests. But again, yeah. I think that sense of you know a crowd. I mean, I, who knows how many people are. Uh, meant by a crowd but it suggests you know it, it's an over-the-top thing you know loads of people mm-hmm. and they've got swords and they've got clubs and you know the, all these people just to arrest one man who who just stands there openly says yeah you know why all the fuss here I yeah. am and um and just big contrast there I think yeah all very dramatic I mean it's not surprisingly that John makes this even more dramatic and has you know Roman soldiers and everybody falls down when Jesus says who he is
1: Yes, the other, some of the others have the high priest's here being, the, the, sorry, the servant's here being healed. Mark doesn't. And Gareth wondered again, is there any reason for this? Is he just being just stating the facts and moving on or
3: any thoughts? On just that? being Mark, I think. I mean, Mark always <laughs> does that. He just touches the minimum and yeah. then he's off, you know, and leaving you saying, well, I've got a whole list of questions here. But I think I think it's more that that. You know, um, healing is is far more of a Lucan theme. Luke, Luke, you know, I, I think obviously Luke felt a bit sorry for this poor mm. guy who's just lying there or whatever he's yeah. doing with his ear chopped off. So and can't really imagine that Jesus allows that to happen in his name and does nothing about it. And so so it's Luke, it's only Luke actually, who has um the 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 uh, chief priest servant um the ear the ear put back.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I feel, as I said earlier, a little bit uncertain about why I do the mime in that performance, which Lisa, my director, insists on producing for me. But I I I I think the interesting thing here is that it's the bystander actually. Because I think, am I right in thinking, Helen, in the other gospel accounts, that person, the person who draws the sword is identified as a disciple. But in this case, it's n- not identified at all. And I was reading a, an article about this which suggested it could have been one of the crowd. Um, mm. Just in the melee, in the confusion, and the chaos, he draws a sword. And whoops, oh, yeah, the right ear of the servant of the high priest has suddenly been locked off. So it's not about someone, you know, standing up for Jesus with a sword, which is what is true of the other gospel accounts, it seems, but just something that happens in the chaos of the moment. I don't know what you mm. thought about that, Helena. Is that yeah
3: i've seen that interpretation i mean it could be it certainly is a bystander but again it's it's interesting as, as the tradition moves through the the various gospel accounts in by the time we get to john's account it's, it's peter who's chopping um you know, and 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 he gets a name as well you know he's called Malchus, and it's yeah. the right ear as well i don't think i don't think mark says which ear does he no he doesn't
2: <laughs> that's very true he doesn't say it though. but
3: um yeah so you get all these details sort of added to yeah. it um but yeah, you, I, I think that's right. You get this sense of a kind of a, a sort of slightly chaotic sort of um, scene. Apart from Jesus, who yeah. is this sort of this calm, sort of tranquil character in the middle, and around him is all this sort of mayhem.
2: Yeah,
1: this is. Uh, we've actually had a, quite a lot of questions this time, and, and we're having an opportunity to to get them in. So I'll make the most of it. Um, Anne asks was it actually their intention to arrest Jesus's disciples as well um, and this is jumping ahead of it but if one disciple was seized and only managed to escape by removing his clothing it suggests they were about to be arrested and only just managed to flee in time to save their lives was this incident included to show the imminent danger and great fear they all experienced at that moment and you mentioned persecution just now Helen didn't you
3: yeah, you mean the naked guy. Yes. Um yeah, that that's such an interesting passage. I I mean there's all there's a, there's a whole industry of people, <laughs> out, you know, yeah. who is the naked guy? What's he doing there? And yeah. and when Matthew and Luke and, and John retell these the, this story, they they just miss him out. You know, they think <laughs> we're not having the ma- naked guy in here. And and there's some tantalizing links, verbal links between the naked guy here and and the um, the young man at the tomb and the cloth the um, the shroud is the same word that's used here for linen linen cloth so um you know you can read all sorts of symbolism into this um on one level i think it's just yet another character who runs away rather than stand up for jesus you know and 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 I think that's a theme throughout Mark's passion narrative. Yeah. So you have you have the disciples running away here. You have Peter running away later on. You know you have the crowd um, leaving him to one side in front of Pilate. And I think this is just one more character who would rather run through the streets naked. I mean that was <laughs> shameful. Yeah, um, you know, he'd rather do that than than stand up for Jesus. At a more subtle level, you could say that um, this guy has turned up in a shroud. He's ready for death. He's ready for, you know, whatever um, following Jesus brings. But um, but in the end, he's not quite ready for it yet. And, you know, at a very deep level, you could say nobody is ready for it until Jesus himself has gone before and mm-hmm. suffered death. And then, you know, people can follow. That's perhaps too deep and uh, <laughs> subtle but but I think you can get all sorts of different layers from this this really interesting story
2: yeah i mean that that's the first time i've heard a couple of those interpretations and that's that, um, that's absolutely brilliant you're right there is an industry isn't there um i've only read about six or seven articles on it but <laughs> it definitely that, that there're loads of things that people say what some people say, ha- this happened at a performance uh, just the other day, actually, in Litchfield Cathedral. Uh, mm-hmm. A man came up to me and said, uh, this guy at the end, a naked chap, um, I think that was Mark himself. Uh, uh. And, and you know, I, I, that's kind of a popular theory. But I, for me, you're right. I think the the verbal links with other passages in Mark's gospel, particularly the ending, um, because that, that the word sidron, is that right? Sidron,
3: sidron, yeah. Sidron
2: yeah. uh, for the, the the cloth that's only mentioned mm. one more time, and that's the mm. it's the burial sheet that Jesus is 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 wrapped in by uh, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, and the young man. That word there is only mentioned mm. one more time at the end in chapter sixteen, mm-hmm. and at the end of chapter sixteen, verse eight. Anyway, the women flee. Uh, rather than tell anyone the story so all sorts of connections and so it's very suggestive isn't it of something Mm -hmm. deeper and wider but I I agree with you in the end for me the most interesting feature is here's another person who Mm -hmm. seems like he's a devoted devoted follower but at the last minute Mm -hmm. he doesn't he doesn't pull it off he doesn't follow through Um, it's underlining something uh, that Mark's been mentioning all along I read an article the other day that suggested that Jesus had clothes. Of course, he did. But when 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 Jesus, when we see Jesus next in the next chapter, I should say, in the crucifixion, those clothes are ripped from him. Um, he he gets robed with a purple robe, uh, and the soldiers make fun of him. Then they put his own clothes back on him, and then they crucify him. And the next bit says they divided up his clothes, seeing which one, you know, they were casting lots for who would get which. In other words, Jesus is left naked, potentially. That's the assumption we're left with. So I'm just wondering whether there's a comparison being drawn in a in a listener's mind between this young man who's left naked but runs mm. away, and Jesus, who's left naked and dies, goes through with what God wants. Um
3: that's a really interesting, I mean that's a really interesting suggestion because I I mean there's no doubt that Jesus would have been naked when he was crucified. I mean, there's no way that that Romans left you any kind of dignity. The whole point of crucifixion is to be as shameful as possible. And um, you know, those those uh, crucifixes we see in churches and things where Jesus has the little loincloth. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that that's for us. It's not it's not a historical representation of what it would have been like I mean he would certainly would have been naked um but you're you're right I mean that that's a really interesting and, and I think it does kind of support that idea that there is something there about about the young man presenting himself sort of ready for death
0: yeah
3: and naked and sort of almost there yeah but he's just not quite there and um and, and, and he runs away and he's he's not there. so yeah there, there's just something very fascinating about him, I think.
2: I think at the risk of making this sound really banal, um, I think nevertheless I will mention this a kind of personal story because um, <laughs> some some of our listeners might be thinking, oh what's this to do with me? you know this is all very interesting. you know even if the disciples were like this young man ready to go through with it until the final the final uh, call and they they, they run away um what's that got to do with me we we don't live in the first century most of us aren't suffering persecution but i i think in mark's gospel i don't know if you agree with this the the implication is that going to going to your crucifixion following jesus and being crucified isn't just necessarily a matter of physical death it's also putting to death your own ego wishes you're you're putting those things aside and you're you're dying to those you're denying yourself as jesus says in mm-hmm. chapter 8 and, and 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 this this story is meant to stimulate you know that question i think even for us modern christians most of us in the west certainly aren't being persecuted but nevertheless are we dying to ourselves in the way that the gospel mm-hmm. emphasizes and i the other day i had a brilliant morning where i spent I spent the whole day giving to others. My wife was happy. My grandchildren were happy. Everyone was happy. At the last minute, I decided to do something really selfish and lock myself away and forgot about them all. So at the last minute, I ruined everything. And and, and I know it's just a trivial example, but I put myself first at, at that point. I wasn't really interested in making others feel happy, to sacrifice for them, to serve them, as Jesus would want me to. So yeah it's it is interesting about how we want to preserve our, our our autonomy our independence our our selfishness sometimes maybe
3: yeah no i think that's right and 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 that that's that thing about you know you have to be servant of all a slave deny yourself take up your cross that's really strong in mark and it's a it's an incredibly hard message um it's it's you know all or nothing and um and 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 nobody nobody really in the story i think is able to follow jesus and that's really quite scary you yeah. know nobody nobody wow. gets away with it um until you know it, and it's up to to hearers of the message to to think about you know can i possibly be a follower and you've got yeah. plenty of ex, of examples of people who don't manage it
2: yeah absolutely
1: We jumped ahead a minute ago to the young man wearing nothing, um, missed out Jesus' words, which probably isn't a great idea. So uh, going back to, am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then everyone deserted him and fled. Um, We haven't got any questions about this as such, but why did Jesus mention the scripture and are there any scriptures? (laughs)
3: It's weird, isn't it? Because sometimes you get quotations of specific scriptures, but but quite often in Mark, you just get sort of, oh, you know, this was done to, yeah. to fulfill the scriptures. And and I I don't know whether it's just that Mark doesn't have a, a handy scripture by his side, or I think more likely he just imagines that this is a fulfillment of all the scriptures. You know, it's not yeah. just a bit of uh, Psalms or Isaiah or whatever, but he thinks, all of the scriptures are pointing to jesus and all of the scriptures are pointing to jesus's death and 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 vindication by god so so i think he's got such a strong sense that this that, that jesus's life and death and resurrection is in accordance with the scriptures that he doesn't really feel he needs to kind of quote passages most of the time
2: yeah that's absolutely right but interestingly when he does quote there are there are specific passages he quotes from mm. not but not here as you say And I I couldn't agree with you more. I think what Mark's trying to convey is this is something God has planned from the beginning of the story of Israel. This is Israel's story coming to its culmination and it's it's a new day, it's a new age that Jesus is inaugurating where God's love and blessing is going with the children of Israel but also out to the world everything has been planned in advance for this moment and so to call it the scriptures must to say the scriptures must be fulfilled is to you know get us to understand this universal theme um i i, I have to say about jesus's reaction is it true helen that in the other gospels and a point is made about violence that jesus is a peacemaker and this is what he's trying to suggest that you know, I'm I'm not one for swords and clubs. Why are you coming out to arrest me with swords and clubs? I, I think it might be going on here, but I'm, I'm just wondering whether Jesus is more intent on maybe convincing us, convincing his hearers here, here um, that he's completely innocent. There is, you know, he was teaching in the temple courts, but he did nothing to stop me then. In other words, you couldn't find anything against me. In fact, I was teaching in the temple courts, with authority i'm I'm underlining the fact i have authority here you did nothing against me so you've had to come out in secret with violence to bring me in but i'm i'm making it clear that actually i am completely innocent i don't know if that's true what do you think
3: yeah I, i i think that's right and i'm sort of underlining too the um you know, the, the underhandedness of it all as well, because I mean, that's going to come out really clearly in the Jewish trial of of Jesus. I mean, that's a hideous passage. It's, yeah. it's one of the worst passages in, in Mark. I think it's so so opposed to the jewish chief priests but you know it's it's a kangaroo court and they've got together with the express intention of putting jesus to death and they just engineer things so that he dies i mean that you know it's not a fair trial that he's going to have and i think this is this is underlining that that first bit of that that you know there were all sorts of opportunities they they could have arrested him in the light but they don't they wait till darkness and um and everything they do is going to be underhand and um, and really illegal. And you know, it's, it's them, they, those people, the the the, the Jewish authorities um, in Mark's Gospel, who are presented as the as the ones who are underhand and illegal,
2: in, in that and context, guilty really yeah. of engineering. Death. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. In that context, this idea of darkness is quite interesting, isn't it? I don't know that you're right that he was in the light. He was teaching in the temple courts. This is in the dark. The trial that you just mentioned is in the middle of the night. It's all done in this kind of sinister atmosphere, isn't it?
3: Exactly. If I was putting this on and, you know, if I was dramatizing Mark's gospel as opposed to, you know, whatever historically happened, but if I was dramatizing Mark's gospel, I would definitely have it dark and gloomy and, you know, looks and um, yeah, you know, the, the whole thing is is presented, at, like I said, as this kangaroo court and, and, and they have one intention, they just want to put him to death. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty horrible picture. And I think a very difficult picture for um, for Christians nowadays to deal with, you know, this anti-Jewishness that you get yeah. in, in the Gospels.
1: Time is running away with this, I'm afraid. I would mm-hmm. really like to know, Helen, from your point of view, uh, broadening out a bit, um, what it is about Jesus and the, his message in the New Testament that you find so compelling? And do you relate to him in everyday life? Do you have any tips that, Unless might find helpful.
3: I don't know. I, I suppose I'm I'm just fascinated by Jesus. I've I've written a couple of books on on the historical Jesus, and uh, more recently on on Mark's Gospel. And I I just love kind of reading these texts and and trying to understand the person who inspired them, and you know the person who still inspires people two thousand years later. I mean that's pretty amazing but but particularly mark because i think as we've already said you know the message in mark this self-denial it's so total um that it's 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 an incredible um and an incredibly difficult message
1: yeah. we've got a minute left does any either of you want to make one last point or anything we haven't had a chance to say that's nodding his head shaking his head no no oh, good good well i'll ask a really tricky qu- well my question. this is my question I want to know, why does it? Why do we have to have these podcasts? Why does it have to be so complicated? Why can't we have... These are the five
2: quotes of Christianity. This is how to do it. Go. Uh, I'll answer first. I mean, Not that I don't sympathise with your question, but the more I read this, the more I realise how beautifully crafted yeah. and multi-layered and exciting it is to read. Um, and it doesn't mean that we all have to be able to be scholars and and yet at the same time there's something about this never-ending treasure trove of riches that we can return to again and again and find something else out that we never knew before something deeper more even more helpful to us in our walk with uh, with god
3: yeah i i I think so too i think there's it's poetic and imaginative and and, and not complicated. If you think it's complicated, you're looking for one meaning. You know, what is the one meaning that explains this? And you never find it. It's it's every, every passage has multiple meanings. And every time you look at them, you'll find different meanings. And depending on on, on what questions you, you have at the time. So I, I think it's, it's deeply poetic and deeply meaningful.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much. Steph and Helen, thank you so much for taking time to share your thoughts with us been a lot of fun enlightening, and i got to ask my questions as it always is sharing our thoughts uh we've enjoyed having you with us too lovely listener lovely watcher on youtube and we hope you check the website iam-mark.com and the facebook community as well as helen's uh, podcast uh that is all we have time for today so it's goodbye from helen bond in edinburgh
3: bye-bye
1: uh, goodbye from Stephen smart in san francisco this time goodbye and from me in southampton uh, goodbye until next time goodbye
0: if you enjoyed this episode of question mark and don't want to miss any future episodes be sure to click on the subscribe button this also means other people can find the podcast and join the conversation too we'd also love if you could leave a review so we know what was good and what we can improve for future episodes if you want to find out more about i am mark Stefan Smart's solo word for word dramatization of mark's gospel go to www sleek.bio slash I am Mark, where you can sign up for free for his newsletter and a whole host of other goodies. Join us and our special guests next time, where we'll continue to explore the greatest story ever told together. If you want to get involved with the podcast or have any questions or comments in the meantime, please do get in touch using the I am Mark social media channels. We'd love to hear from you. We light it up, we won't come down, and the sun can't stop us now. Watching it come true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show, where it's covered in all the colored lights, and the runaways are running the night. Impossible comes true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show.